This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. As uh, Caleb read from Isaiah 46, um, he read that... uh, the Lord said, I am he. Uh, he, he, he. He was talking about all the things that he did, does that are different from all of the other false gods like Baal and, and, and all, all these other false gods. But he's distinguishing himself and he says, I'm the one who, uh, who knows the end from the beginning. He, he says, I'm the one who uh, you know, calls a bird from the east and it comes. Uh, and we think of uh, when Jesus... Uh, was talking about not worrying. We didn't. We we are not to worry because the Father uh, he is he is aware of even the, the the sparrow that not a not a single sparrow falls from the sky without his Father's knowledge. Uh, as we as we think about that text, we might think about what Isaiah said here, where where he calls a bird from the east. Um, God was in control. He, he, nothing happened apart from his, his will and his pleasure. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at the arrest of Jesus. But I think that's, that is still encompassed in this. One of the things that, that John particularly brings out as we, as we look at this text about the arrest of Jesus is how he was in control. There was, there was no surprise about it. There was, there was no, he was not the victim of any circumstances. Uh, it wasn't Judas's betrayal that was ultimately in control, but he was in control of the whole thing. And we'll see that in our text. Um, let's look at John chapter 18. We're going to read the first 11 verses. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you had given me, I lost no no one, not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are in control. Lord, this is your world. You sustain the universe by your power. Lord, you provide for all of our needs. There is nothing in this world that surprises you. But you are completely sovereign and worthy of all of our worship. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see this morning. I pray that you would be with me. I am weak, but you are strong. In Jesus' name, amen. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, from chapter 14, verse 1, all the way up to the end of chapter 16, Jesus had been teaching his disciples. He was getting ready to go away, as he put it. He was getting ready to go to the cross, and his disciples were going to be left. And his concern was that they would have confidence, that they would have the Holy Spirit with them. He told them, I'm going to send another comforter who's going to be with you so that they wouldn't be alone, that they would be able to to go out on mission, like we talked about this morning, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 17, you have this prayer that Jesus had prayed, often echoing the same things. He prayed for himself. He prayed that the Son would be glorified with the glory that he had had with the Father from before the world was. If that's not a claim to deity, I don't know what is. He claimed to have a glory with the Father before the world ever existed. And then he prayed for his disciples. He prayed that the Lord, that God, the Father, would sustain them, that he would keep them from the wicked one, from the evil one. He would, he would, he would make them one. And then he prayed for those who would believe because of the disciples' message. He, he prayed for us. For the same thing. He prayed for a unity and that the Lord would keep us. And then here at verse chapter 18, it, it says, After he had said these things, when Jesus had said these words, this is what he did. He went and crossed the brook Kidron. Now, the brook Kidron separates... Um, the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. He crossed that bridge and he went over uh, to a garden, probably the Garden of Gethsemane, um, where we know that he prayed there. He prayed, you know, if it be possible that this cup should pass for me, but then again, not my will, but thine. We don't have all the details of his prayers there in the garden, of of, uh, the stories we know from the other Gospels where where Jesus had had left his disciples to pray and he'd gone away and he prayed and he came back and they had fallen asleep. John doesn't tell us those details, but as they were there in the garden, Judas comes. Now Judas, verse 2, who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Just think about this. How did Judas know where to find Jesus? 
Well, he'd often met there with his disciples before. This is like, so if Jesus knew that they were about to come and arrest him and he didn't want it to happen, he wouldn't have gone to a place where he was used to going to, would he? But he was in control. He, he was in control. He, he was willingly offering himself up. He did not in any way need to hide from the authorities coming to, to uh, arrest him. And so he went about the same routine that he always went through. He went to this garden, the Garden of the Gethsemane, where Judas would know exactly where he was. Judas would know where his patterns would lead him. So Judas came there to the garden. And he had a band of soldiers with him. I don't know how many. It doesn't tell us a number. Uh, the word there... Uh, for the band of soldiers, uh, um, as I was reading the commentary, some said that the, that the word precisely may mean about 200 soldiers, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the whole band was there. It may have been just a, a smaller group from that band. But they came to the garden, and they had some of the chief priests, the, the officers of the chief priests, maybe the, the religious police that were there. And they came with lanterns and torches and weapons. They came with lanterns so that if, if the fugitive that they were after was hiding in the bushes somewhere, that they would have this lantern to be able to shine upon. They didn't need it. And, and they had weapons so that if there was any resistance, they could, they could forcibly take Jesus. But they didn't need them. Then Jesus, knowing that this would happen to him. Think about that. This is reinforcing what I've said. Jesus was in control of his very arrest. All of these details that John is giving us is pointing to the fact that he was in control. He said, it says he was knowing that this would happen to him, came forward. Now the other Gospels tell us that Judas signaled who to, to uh, arrest because he had come and he kissed Jesus. John leaves that detail out. This is not a contradiction. They are, they are not in contradiction to each other. John's just not telling us the detail that the other Gospels tell us. And I think probably the reason why he's not telling us this detail is he's emphasizing that Jesus was the one in control. It wasn't Judas. It wasn't his kiss that was the one that was in control. But it was Jesus who stepped forward and said, who is it that you seek? Whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. We heard this in the text that Caleb read from, from Isaiah. We can think back to Moses and the burning bush where Moses was told to, to go and, and lead his people into, out of Egypt with the Exodus. And Moses asked the Lord at the burning bush, well, who should I tell them has sent me, sent me? And he said, tell them I am has sent you. When Jesus says, 
I am he. This is very similar to the kind of language we see elsewhere in John where he says, I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the, 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 uh, the living water. He, he says, I am all of these different times and, and all of these different times that Jesus is saying, I am, it's, it's, it has the same effect of, of uh, signaling who he is. It's like in, in this passage in Isaiah that Caleb read from, I am he. I'm the one who is in control. I'm the one who calls the bird from the east. I'm the one who's declared the end from the beginning. And Jesus says, I am he. And Judas tells us, Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What kind of, who would respond like that? You're going to arrest someone. All of these soldiers, the whole band of soldiers, you have uh, uh, the, the, several of the, the officers of the chief priests and of the Pharisees. They're all there. And Jesus, they're, they're coming to arrest him. Uh, where's the criminal? Where's the criminal? And Jesus just says, I'm he. I'm giving myself up. And they fall back. And they fall to the ground. I think this... This is another signal that Jesus was claiming to be God here. For no other reason would they be able to draw back. They were like wanting to escape from the lightning that was about to come down if what Jesus said wasn't true. They were drawing back. He just said he was God. And they fell to the ground. So we asked them again. Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. It's kind of an odd thing for someone who's being arrested to do. He's giving them orders. <laughs> They're coming to arrest Jesus and he's saying, okay, just take me, leave them be. He's the one in charge. He's giving them orders. He's offering himself up willingly. And it tells us this is to fulfill what the scriptures said, what the, uh, the word that he had spoken in his prayer of those whom you had given me, I have lost not one. In the other places where Jesus had talked about um, he would not lose any of those whom the Father had given him. Uh, he, it often points out the exception. You know, except the son of destruction. Judas, the one who would betray him. But here there's no exception given. Those whom the Father had given Jesus, he would lose not one. The emphasis here is on Jesus being in control. He protected his disciples. He loved them. And then, Simon Peter, who is so brash, as we talked about earlier this morning, he's, he's so confident, overconfident, ready to just come out guns a-blazing, okay? 
And Simon Peter, he had a sword. He drew it and he struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. Just like Peter. Jesus is in control. He, he, he is not, nothing is going to happen to him that is outside of what God had planned from the beginning of time. Nothing is going to happen to Jesus that was outside of what he had came, come to do. And yet Peter still didn't understand. Peter was still trying to stand up and protect his master. And he cut off this servant's ear. Now in the other Gospels, and actually in Matthew, Jesus responds to Peter by saying, um, Put away your sword, for he who lives by the sword will die by the sword. We don't have that response here. It's not like, again, just because we have different sayings doesn't mean they contradict. One's recording some details, one's recording the others to emphasize certain things. And in Luke, it tells us that Jesus had picked up, or not, not that he picked it up, but he touched the man's ear and healed him. We don't have that detail either. But we do have another detail about this man. It says the servant's name was Malchus. This is a real person. It tells us his name. So many times we, we hear about uh, these things happening and there's no name associated with the person or anything. And, but there was something important about this guy. His name was Malchus. Now this is just a little bit of speculation. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any, any other place in, in Scripture to, to really point to, but the only thing I can think of that would, I could imagine why his name would be mentioned is, is maybe he was known by the early church in Jerusalem. Maybe he was somebody who ended up becoming a believer. And whenever John says his name was Malchus, those early Christians who would have been the first recipients would say, oh yeah, I know him. I wondered what that scar was from. <laughs> but it personalizes it. So John, Peter, he, he cuts off this ear and here's what John records that, Peter, that Jesus said to Peter. Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which the Father has given me? The emphasis here for Peter is not the absence of violence. Those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. The emphasis here, again, is on the fact that God is in control. That Jesus, the obedient Son, is following the will of His Father. Just as in the other, we don't see the prayer in Gethsemane here in John. Instead, we, we see this other prayer in, in chapter 17. But we know from the other Gospels how Jesus prayed, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he has to teach Peter that same lesson. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? The cup here is the symbol of going to the cross. In uh, 
another passage in Isaiah, I think it's actually Isaiah 51, just a few chapters after the passage that Caleb had read from. It speaks of the cup of God's wrath that would be poured out upon his people Israel in judgment. The cup of God's wrath was God's righteous judgment that was being poured out. And he was saying to his people, I will pour out and I will make you drink the cup of my my wrath. Drink it down to the dregs. But also in that chapter, it says that the cup would be removed from them and they would no longer stagger with the intoxication of the cup of God's wrath. The cup was removed from his people. The cup of God's wrath was taken from his people, the ones that the Father had given him and given to the Son. That Jesus, the Son of God, would take the cup of God's wrath and he would drink it. He would drink all of God's wrath Upon himself. He would drink it down to the very dregs. He would drink all of it. We see here Jesus saying, Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? It reminds us he drank our cup. We deserved God's wrath, we deserved the punishment. We deserve the justice of God poured out on us. But instead, Jesus took our cup. Jesus was in control all along. This is what he came to do. Nobody came and snatched him out of his own, uh, uh, apart from his own desire. But as they came and they took him away to be crucified, Jesus was obediently following the will of his Father. He was in control all along. He did it for a purpose, and it was to take our place. He took the cup for you and for me. This is glorious. A lot of times we think of sermons as though we need to come and kind of get our marching orders to go out. But as we think about this, it's not so much of an application of what should we go do then. It's more an application of what should we think about God It's more of an application of what should we think about what He did for us that will have effects upon the way we live. So let's think about some applications. First of all, Jesus is in control here. And He's in control in our lives. When we think everything is spinning out of control... When we think we can't handle what is coming across our path, what what life has brought us, Jesus is in control. 
And He cares for us. And He will not let one of His sheep go. He will not lose one. So, hold on to Him and He is holding on to you. And He will not let you go. Two, just be blown away by what Jesus has done for us. Just bask in what He has done for us. He willingly took the cup of God's wrath and drank it all so that we wouldn't have to. He went to the cross and took every beating. He took every lash of the cat of nine tails. He, he took those nails in His hands and in His feet. He took the sword through His side. He took the crown of thorns upon His head that was beat down. He took the spitting. He took the mocking. He took all of that. And that's just the minor parts. The big part is He took the cup of God's wrath. And He drank it all in our place. Oh, what a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. 